Previously on Transformers University, we have been talking about Season 2 of the Generation 1 cartoon, and we will continue our journey with the Autobots and Decepticons on Earth as we cover another five episodes of Season 2, right now, on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Episode 23 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brutale, owner-operator, madman behind TFU.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. Today, we are jumping into some more cartoon history. We're going to tackle episodes 11 through 15 of Season 2 of the original Generation 1 Transformers cartoon. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests lined up for you today, some people you've never heard on the show before, and some old friends as well. Also, want to give a quick shout out to Dinobot Maximize, who uh, joined our Patreon at the senior level. Uh, hopefully you'll be hearing from Dinobot Maximize soon on a podcast. Uh, I just have to plan out some recordings for our Patreons. Uh, but if you'd like to join the Patreon, you can join for as little as $1.00 over at patreon.com slash tfuinfo patreon.com slash tfuinfo and that will get you into the patreon put a few special edition podcasts up over there for for my patrons and uh some polls and behind the scenes looks at this show and this episode uh will be up there as well now on to the episodes for this week Today we will be covering a prime problem, uh, the core, uh, the Insecticon Syndrome, and Dinobot Island Part 1 and 2. And we're going to start with a prime problem. This is series episode number 27, season 2 episode number 11, written by Dick Robbins and Bryce Malick. You may remember them from The Ultimate Doom and a few other early episodes. And this episode starts out with Megatron and Starscream and Soundwave finding a source of rare energon uh, in the form of crystals in a crevice. So Soundwave sends uh, this little robot that has been known as the Auto Scout. Actually, it's called the Auto Scout in the episode down to investigate. Uh, it's a little cassette turns into this neat little uh, thin cassette wide robot uh, that has wheels and a little claw arm and uh, this will be the first and last appearance of the auto scout as he will blow up uh, having found what they call coralonium crystals in the crevice uh, they're deadly and as i mentioned the auto scout explodes uh, the autobots investigate this whole thing it turns out to be a trap starscream says this wonderful line all the danger you can handle is already Prime. And then Laserbeak is sent to target Optimus Prime. Laserbeak is the strongest of the Decepticons. This is what we've learned from this cartoon, because he is the only one who continually beats Optimus Prime. Uh, and in this scene, he does uh, defeat Optimus Prime, but uh, Megatron orders Laserbeak to 3D scan Optimus Prime so that he can clone him. Um, and... That is the gist of this episode. So Megatron clones Optimus Prime. We have a pair of Optimus Primes back at Autobot base after the Decepticons flee the fight. And for more on this episode and the wackiness behind it, I'm going to toss this over to my friends from the Stasis Pod podcast. So for a little more, here's Rob, Jen, and David from Stasis Pod. What up? It is the gang from Stasis Pod. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. And I'm David. And today we are talking a little bit about a prime problem. Yay! Oh my god, this episode. This it's episode. The, it's the episode where there's a Optimus Prime and then there's a fake Optimus Prime. Yes! One of many instances when that happens... I mean, this is the first and possibly the worst. In this case, they're actually creating a duplicate Optimus Prime for a very poor attempt at infiltration of the Autobots uh, in order to convince them to go into the super dangerous cavern and get them all blown up. Uh, and actually, that's got 
it's got all these unstable crystals in it, which is really something that seems to have been picked up on in Transformers a lot after that. Uh, but, but, God, it's... Where do we even start with this episode? It's so <laughs> I bad. Mean, listen, most Generation 1 episodes, everybody's like a little dim. Like, you know, most characters have kind of taken a couple blows to the head. They're a little woozy. <laughs> this episode, everybody has been chewing on paint chips for a couple weeks. And these are like <laughs> mid-80s heavy lead content in those paint chips. In those paint chips. Now, I... I think that in in Soundwave's defense, in his stupidest moment in the episode, I choose to just believe he's not paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) Megatron's explaining to him this big plan where he's going to have this duplicate of Optimus Prime that he controls and he like puts on this stupid headset thing. And then like this pod chamber thing opens up and the Optimus Prime duplicate steps out and Soundwave is all... Like, like, nobody is getting the core concept here, including Megatron, whose planet is, because he is, like, infiltrating the Autobot base, and he doesn't know anybody's name. (laughs) (laughs) So he's calling them, calling Autobots by the wrong names, and Bumblebee, or Ironhide's like, that one's Bumblebee Prime, I'm Ironhide. And then, yes, ultimately, they decide to... Uh, determine which one is the real one by having a race. Well, of course. How, how else are you going to de- decide Big which Mac trucks? Which is which? You have to have a race every time, or you have because to race two trucks into each other and have them crash. Because late seventies Freightliners are known for their speed. <laughs> I don't. Well, the writer probably just fell asleep while watching Smokey and the Bandit or something. Like, if it was, like, Sideswipe or someone who's just, or, like, Blur, if you were going to try to have, like, a duplicate Blur, then absolutely racing would be exactly the sort of test you would want to put out there. But also, the duplicate Optimus Prime wins the race, and so everybody just goes to follow him. Everybody's (laughs) just like... (laughs) I guess he's the real Optimus Prime, that even though he was, like, completely getting our names wrong and didn't know how to operate Teletran 1. <laughs> and also, he, I, they, they really decide that he's the real Optimus Prime. He just blows up Starscream. Yes, <laughs> because that's totally not something Megatron has been wanting to do every day <laughs> for millions of years. And, I mean, there's no way that if the Decepticons could make a fake Optimus Prime, they definitely couldn't also make a fake Starscream. <laughs> yeah, don't you guys remember the the the, the original series that the, more than meets the eye? That there were umpteen star screams and sound or sky warps and thundercrackers. Of yeah, all they just like colors. painted one of those spare purple guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, eventually they do decide that he's the real Prime when the fake Optimus Prime is all. You know, they have to save Spike, and he's all you know. Screw that guy. Nobody cares about Spike. <laughs> Which, I mean, to be fair, the fact that, you know, all this other stuff aside, the fact that one of them actually shows signs of morality, you'd think that would be the test to begin with. You'd be like, which one of you is willing to kill this guy? I mean, listen, they're so dumb in this episode. I'm not, that might, I'm surprised this actually worked. (laughs) He might as well have just been a wrong color, like Faker on Masters of the Universe. Oh, they why probably wouldn't be able blue? to tell. Now could, they couldn't. Uh, maybe they're colorblind on Eternia. That would explain a lot of the outfits. For, yeah. <laughs> this episode has one cool thing in it. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, uh, Soundwave like ejects the Auto Scout to yes! scout, and it it totally looks like a thing that could be a toy. Yes. And it never appears again, but it looks neat. It's like a little yeah. cassette bike thing with a little claw on it. Yeah, like Which, a little scooter like, thing. And they they never made this for, like, Masterpiece Soundwave. They made the stupid helmet Megatron wears in this episode for Masterpiece Megatron. Oh, that's right, they did. Yes! <laughs> kind of looks like he's wearing a jock strap on his head. <laughs> it is not a good episode. And this, uh... Yeah, this was written by, um, Bryce Malik and Dick Robbins, who wrote a ton of other episodes. Many of which, mm-hmm. a couple of which I actually enjoyed. They wrote The Ultimate Doom, which I liked. Ooh, yeah, The Ultimate Doom was pretty cool, except for it establishing that humans can just breathe on Cybertron with no trouble. <laughs> hey. Listen, that, that's water under the bridge. 
There's air on Cybertron. There's water on Cybertron. But there's air on Cybertron. Some Cybertron. It happens in Prime. Sometimes there's nothing but robots on Cybertron. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, that is a Prime problem. It's super dumb. But if you like dumb 80s robot shows, it's got what you want. (laughs) It's definitely fun, dumb 80s robot show. Yep. Yes. And you can catch that Stasis Pod gang anywhere you uh, enjoy podcasts, iTunes, uh, etc. Basically, anywhere you find this podcast, you should be able to find them. And they're also on Twitter at Stasis Pod, where they do a wonderful job. They started with Beast Wars, which we'll get to eventually. And they've gone episode by episode, uh, skipping the Unicron trilogy. But now they're all the way up to Transformers Prime. Uh, It's a fantastic show. Uh, Go check it out. So there are some interesting things that have happened in this episode overall. So in one part of this episode, Optimus Prime refers to Ironhide as Bumblebee. The fake Optimus Prime doesn't know Ironhide's name, even though he's being controlled by Megatron. Bumblebee, I'm speaking to you. You talking to me? And later in the episode, when the fake Optimus Prime is leading the Autobots to their doom, the real Optimus Prime says this. Ironhide, Wheeljack, Trailblazer, Autobots, all of you, do not follow him. It's right. He calls Trailbreaker Trailblazer. So now the real Optimus Prime, presumably, also got a name wrong. And then at the end of the episode, when the Decepticons decide to cover their escape by throwing Spike out of a flying plane, Optimus Prime yells this. He, he's dropped Splick. Who is Splick? And how Optimus doesn't know Spike's name either. Did they kill the wrong Optimus is always a question in my head when I watch this episode. Yeah, okay, they're probably animation errors. Okay, they're definitely animation errors. But it's fun to toy around with the idea that maybe they killed the wrong Optimus and that they've been led wrong from here on out. Additionally, a couple other little neat things in this episode. Wind Charger, when he falls into the crevice, uh, which is what reveals the crevice to be a danger to the rest of the Autobots, he mentions that he was saved by transforming and landing on his insulated rubber tires, which is another trick that's been used several times in Season 1 and Season 2 of the show. Then lastly, just to throw to some more bits of mythology Starscream kind of is the voice of some of those things he mentions that he is the pride of the Cybertron War Academy uh, which is just a neat thought that there is some sort of West Point style training facility on Cybertron and during the scene where fake Optimus kills fake Starscream Starscream evokes the one-on-one battle code that was previously mentioned in Heavy Metal War. And lastly, we get a first appearance by Powerglide and Warpath in this episode. Warpath is shown uh, on a view screen uh, during one of Megatron's conversations about the Autobots, and Powerglide saves Splick from falling to his death. And it's funny we should mention Heavy Metal War here. The next episode we're going to talk about is The Core, and The Core is a very much Constructicons-centric episode uh, involving the Constructicons drilling under the Earth. The episode was written by Dennis Marks. Uh, Dennis Marks, a famed animation writer, wrote uh, on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, Batman the Animated Series, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Jetsons the movie was one of his scripts as well. He served in the Navy as a public information officer on the Lexington And he even wrote all 39 episodes of the Beatles cartoon in the 60s. He was also sometimes a voice actor and was the voice of the Green Goblin on Spider-Man and Friends. Now, for more on the core, I'm going to toss it over to someone new to the podcast. And that would be Insane Galvatron from the podcast TFYLP. The episode The Core is a Devastator-centric episode. 
where we basically have the Autobots take control of Devastator, and Megatron, even though it's not really explained in the episode, somehow knew they were going to do it and had a counter plan to take control back at the right time. Uh, but in the meantime, we get to see Devastator and then the Constructor Cons as good guys helping out around the base, you know, with Hook performing surgery. Um, uh, basically, the premise is that the, the, the Decepticons are drilling to the Earth's core to get the power from it. They don't care if it blows the Earth up or not. They've got a space bridge. Um, the Autobots take control of Devastator, uh, and then they go try to attack. Megatron takes control back. Devastator goes nuts. Um, destroys the space bridge. There's no longer an escape, and then Devastator has to stop the drill. Uh, and then, of course, you know he gets put back to being a Decepticon. Uh, and it was kind of neat. I remember as a kid watching this episode, thinking it was kind of cool to see the Constructicons as good guys. Because you know, as a little kid, you always root for the good guys, and then the Constructicons are just really cool. So it was nice to see them in that role. Uh, this was an earlier episode in season two. Um, before this, the only thing we'd had about the Constructicons and their origin was when they appeared in Heavy Metal War. Megatron said he built them. Now, as a kid, uh, there's a couple episodes that come later on that go more into the Constructicons' origins. As a kid, I didn't really think about it that much. I didn't even really notice uh, the problems. But as an adult, when I went back and rediscovered Transformers and you know bought the old VHS tapes on eBay to, to watch the episodes, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, because Megatron said he built them in the cave uh, in Heavy Metal War. Well... Beyond this episode, we get to the secret of Omega Supreme, where it is revealed that, well, they were good guys, they were friends of Omega Supreme, and Megatron used the Robo Smasher to reprogram them. And then later, we go to Wardon, where we go even further back, where we see the origin of Megatron and the Constructicons are there building him. So it may look like they were already Decepticons when Megatron came onto the scene, but then they were Autobots, Megatron reprogrammed them, but then he built them in the caves. And actually, I think there's not as much confusion in those different origins as I thought 15 years ago. Um, <clears throat> so if we take just what we have shown in these in these episodes and assume that all these statements are true, so what would be the whole story that would allow for all three of these things to be true? Um, the way I personally reconcile this in my head is that in Wardon, when we see the Constructicons building Megatron... In the context of that episode, that's kind of the history. That's where he started. He was one of those new type of flying robots. And this idea of a war at that point um, was kind of unheard of. You know, there was no Autobot Decepticon faction to fight against each other. Um, so when we see the Constructicons building Megatron, they don't necessarily mean they were bad guys at that point. Um, and then, of course, he later uses a Robo Smasher to make them bad guys. Um, and then when he built, you know, since he came to Earth and he built them, it could have been that he just built them those new bodies. So that's kind of how I look at the story of the Constructicons. So they started out just like neutral robots or good robots, friends of Omega Supreme. They built this new flying robot who later reprogrammed them and then had to build them new bodies when he got to Earth. And that, I think, is what makes the story here in uh, the core such a sad story. Um, because you had them, they were good guys. Megatron reprogrammed and made them bad guys. And then here, temporarily, they got to go back to being good guys. So we kind of got a little more of a glimpse of probably what they were like before Megatron reprogrammed them. And so it's kind of this tragedy that they went through all this they've gone through to be brought back to the good side only to be drugged back to being bad again. And they're, and it's it, it really is a tragedy in the whole scheme of Transformers because we never see them get fully redeemed. We just get this glimpse here in this one episode. For the most part, they started out as good guys. They get turned to bad guys against their will, and they're stuck with that fate, uh, as far as we know, through the end of the series. Very sad indeed. And you can catch TFYLP on iTunes and YouTube and wherever you find your podcasts. Just search out TFYLP, Transformers Podcast, and you can catch Insane Galvatron, Duran, and Don and the gang. All over there for some more great Transformers talk. I know Insane Galvatron there covered a few bits from episodes we haven't talked about yet, but it's interesting to take a look at this episode through that lens of the Constructicons and their varied origin stories and the addition of the notion that at some point they were good. And I think that's a really great take on those characters. Now, a couple things that 
weren't covered just now about this episode that I do want to just talk about. One is that this episode was animated by Acom, so there, are, the style of this episode is very um, noticeable. Uh, the animation errors are very noticeable. For example, uh, in one of the scenes, uh, actually in several scenes, Prowl is really colored gray instead of white. Um, and there's just a, a number of animation errors throughout. Also worth noting in, in this episode is the final line. And the episode ends like this. Hang on to your dreams, Chip. The future is built on dreams. So that line, according to Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, in an interview in 2011, that line holds a special place to him as he had visited a child named Michael in a children's hospital who had crocheted that phrase, hold on to your dreams, the future is built on your dreams, and was using that as a source of strength through his battle with cancer and though the boy didn't make it apparently the kids at the children's hospital uh, finished the crocheting for him after he was gone that is a bit of a touching anecdote from Peter Cullen himself and so we move on to the next episode we'll talk about season 2 episode 13 episode 29 overall the insecticon syndrome and this episode, written by Douglas Booth, who we've talked about many times on this show, it is episode 29 overall, season 2, episode 13. It contains the first appearance of Beachcomber. And for more on this episode and the effect it has had on a younger Transformers fan who wasn't around when this episode first aired, I'm going to defer to Christabella from Steel City Bots. Hey everybody, this is Christabella from uh, Steel City Bots, uh, and I'm just going to talk about the Insecticon Syndrome. Uh, so, real quick, I just wanted to give a little bit of a, of a brief little history, uh, personal history of myself with this episode, because this actually does, if not for this episode, I would not, well, I, I'd probably still be here, but maybe not as Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Point is, this was the first episode of G1 I ever saw. Way, 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 way back in the early 2000s. Like, 2001, 2002, maybe? Point is, I was small. Okay? So, yes, I have very fond memories here. Mom would always take me and my big brother to this place called Hollywood Video. And we'd each get to pick a movie to rent for the weekend. Now, for those of you who are younger than I am, who might be listening, uh, there we used to have these things called video rental stores. There's still a few here and there, but you would actually go there and physically obtain a copy of whatever you wanted to watch. And way back then, we didn't have those fancy uh, DVD discs. No, you had these big old eight-inch by four-inch plastic rectangles with magnetic tape inside that would play the movie on this contraption called a VCR, but anyway, I'm rambling. Mom would always let me and bro, we would each get to pick out a movie for the weekend. Um, of course, that particular day, there were some Transformers tapes in, and uh, my, my my brother told Mom that uh, I had actually let him choose for me. And, well, I, I didn't, but, you know, no harm, no foul. Big brother, if you're listening. I'm still a little perturbed, but I digress. Anyway, so, <clears throat> where are we? Right. I remember watching that episode. It, it, now, that's fuzzy, because I was like four. So, you know, long time ago. Uh, but I, I distinctly remember the thing that really stuck with me was how Optimus and Megatron were working together. And I'm like, what? Because even back then, you know, I knew Autobots, Decepticons, Megatron, Optimus. Yeah, they, they're like oil and water, sort of. So that was like, whoa, that's... How can this be? That's baffling. It was because of this that I got into Transformers the way I did. So watching this episode real quick, I just wanted to real quick mention we uh, actually watched this together as a family. Me, Michiru, and the kids. Because we've... I, I, we've been trying to show them the things we like the most. So Michiru's been showing them some, some Star Wars stuff. And I've been... We've been sort of like... All, not 
completely marathoning, but we've been watching every episode of G1. And so we kind of had to skip ahead a little bit with this one for the for this episode. But I remember the kids liked it too, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping they'll, they'll get some of the same memories. Because, I mean, they were a little younger than I was when I watched it, but only by a couple years. So enough of hearing me rambling. You want to hear more about how the episode went. So without further ado, here we go. The episode opens up with a hound beachcomber, who I like, who who I will henceforth be referring to as Hippie Bot, and Bumblebee. They're heading through a national park to see where a bunch of large, well, sorry, rather I should say a large amount of trees have been chewed up really badly by well something. To which Hippie Bot declares that it was no animal but Insecticons. Shot then, or the shot then pans up above to what appears to be some kind of hive-looking thing in the mountain. Well, inside it looks more like a hive than the outside, but eh, deal with it. Um, where they're discussing which trees they want to eat. Apparently, pines give one of them indigestion, or or no, no, no. Rather, they don't. They go right through him. Like, yeah. So they decide to go eat eat some redwoods. Which we then cut back to an incredulous park ranger who sums up just about how any person might feel in this situation. Gigantic robot insects that eat trees? You've gotta be kidding! Before we cut back to the deceptic the insecticons eating trees. More trees, rather. So now we learn, of course, that the Decepticons proper are looking for their insectoid brethren, with Megatron loudly declaring he'll exterminate them when they're done well, with whatever they need the Insecticons for. Some sort of evil plan, because it's G1 Megatron and all his plans are uh, evil and nonsensical. I love G1 Megatron so much. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, so there's a bit of a fight between the Autobots I had mentioned earlier and the three Insecticons. Insecticons get the upper hand when they roll a uh, fallen tree at the bots and their little little fleshy friends, which uh, uh, sort of leads them into a waterfall, which they fall, fall over, and they appear to be dead because it pans down, and uh, you see <laughs> you see their dead bodies floating. Which I have to say, it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off, because like it, a kids show. I mean, we find out that they're holograms, but for a few seconds, you're like, oh my god, they're they're freaking dead. Holy Toledo. Megatron offers to give them energy, specifically from some somewhere called the Nova Power Plant, in exchange for them stealing some sort of defense computer. It, it's G1 Megatron, so, you know, don't expect it to make too much sense. Uh, now there's another battle. Uh, uh well, sorry. the uh the Autobots from the park, they meet up with their meet up back at at the base, and explain what's going on. Autobots, you know, transform and roll out, and they head towards the the who's a Medusa, the the power plant where there's another fight. And uh, the insect during the fight, the Insecticons load up on energy and they get massive, like become absolute units. Um, and we never really see that happen again either, so, you know, kind of a, one of the many missed opportunities of G1, I suppose. Anyway, uh, during the fight, Bombshell also managed to use his Cerebro shell on Soundwave to, uh, take him over, because that's what, that's what he do, that's, because that's how the Bombshell do. So during the fight, Ironhide gets zapped, and his, his arm, the pl plating on his left, uh, forearm just opens like like a hatch. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but you can see what looks like a license plate in there that has his name on it. And I I've watched this episode a few times and I'd never noticed that until this this time. So that was a little weird. Um uh so yeah during the fight Spike even gets to use a gun so it's like wow serious super serious but apparently we find out that this controlling this one computer allows Megatron to rule the world. The 80s were hecking weird, all right? We learn that apparently the energy from the Nova Power Core 
uh, that the buggos, the Insecticons, ate was incompatible with their trilithium stomachs. No, seriously, that's that, that's what Spike said. Optimus, according to this, the Nova Power Core is incompatible with their trilithium stomachs. Hey, what? You mean they're gonna get electrochemical indigestion? Uh, and they're gonna blow up if it doesn't get fixed. So, you know, that's not really a big old problem until we learn that they're gonna blow up inside of a military base and it'll all come tumbling down, tumbling down, and it's gonna be bad. So yeah, they kinda gotta go and, uh, defuse the situation, so to speak. Uh... So we, we see them whipping up some kind of the Autobots, whipping up some kind of antidote, which is like, how is that going to work? The, they ate energy, but you know, but you know it's it, it's the 80s. I'm not going to argue too much. Um, but one thing in that scene that really made, made me giggle was seeing Wheeljack with an Erlenmeyer flask. Like, that's just, this, that's almost on par, in my opinion, with the Autobots in the lab coats from uh, More Than Meets the Eye. Was it part two or part three? I want to say it was part three, um, but yeah, as as a uh, science nerd all through high school, well done. That, 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 that's really great. I don't know why. Just anyway, um, but at this point, it looks like the the Insecticons, who are henceforth the Buggos, as I've been referring to them, they're starting to feel the effects as uh, they're getting like all zappy and indigestion. And I know exactly how they feel. I, you know, I had a bad burrito a few a couple months ago, and let me tell you, oh boy. Kind of that kind of indigestion. Oof! You just you don't want to be around. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I can only imagine what it's like for giant robots. Um, but yeah, so the Autobots they come in and they to the military base, and they get buried in a rock rock slide very quickly, and that leads to the line which, for whatever reason, stuck with me for like years after. I I okay, I don't know why, but it was. It was, um, this one. Guys, you all right? Just great. If you don't mind two tons of Inferno sitting on your head plates. Look, you get ten tons of boulders off my shoulder struts, and I'll get off your noggin. So, at this point, Soundwave has hacked into the computer, and, uh, that's when Megatron decides to turn on the buggos. But when he gets outside, he realizes that... Hey, really? Sorry, I'm reading my own notes from the episode, and I, I bombo, so I'm assuming bombshell, hit all the cons, Decepticons, with his Cerebro shell, so now they all serve, uh, their Insectoid Master. <laughs> uh, Meg Megatron's going about to, uh, shoot the, uh, buggos, but Optimus stops him due to, you know, the, uh, imminent kablooey, which kind of is a bad thing. So this is the part that I mentioned at the beginning, how them working together, uh, it, w it was another thing that stuck with me. So you get to see Megatron, it, I don't know, I can't tell if he was unconscious and Optimus transformed him into a gun, or if he transformed himself, but I'm kind of hoping it's the former, because that's the only time we ever get to see a Transformer transform another Transformer. Try saying that three times fast. Uh... But yeah, they get, he loads up the vials, and he gets Bombshell, and Kickback. Kickback, yeah, I, I, I knew that one. And they they get turned back to normal, but Shrapnel... Well, there's an apparent animation error first, where it looks like Shrapnel's uh, horns are cut short. So that, that was a funny thing. But, uh, apparently, they, they do not hit him with the antidote in time, and lightning strikes through the roof of this military base, and zaps him, and he turns into freaking Robo-Thor. Like, whoa! Uh, whoa! I, 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 I admit, I don't remember that. But yeah, he's using his lightning, he's zapping, and then he gets blowed up. I don't remember if it was, I can't quite remember if it was because he got hit with the antidote, or the, the energy in his gut went kablooey. But it doesn't really matter, because either way, even though he's in a hundred pieces, uh, Bombshell apparently has a Fix-It Felix gun that we never see again, that he just shoots the bits with, and they reassemble. And they all fly, and the Insecticons fly off, and the Decepticons chase after them, the Autobots share a laugh, and that is the end. So, I just want to say thank you all for putting up with these, I know I ramble, and I don't make sense, and I'm kind of insane. Till next time, this is Christabella, signing out. Bye, Anara.
and you can catch Chris DiBello along with Soundjack and Miguel and Eric and the gang from Steel City Bots over on YouTube and wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. And Chris hit on a bunch of things that uh, I had written out in my notes, and there was just one little thing I wanted to mention about this episode. It is the first appearance of Inferno. And that will take us to episode 30 of the series, season 2, episode 14. We kick off a two-parter with Dinobot Island, part 1, by Donald F. Glute who you know from many of the previous Dinobot episodes. And there is a distinct shift in the show that starts with this episode. And for more than that, since we're going out to sea, here he is, the salty seaman himself, Gabriel Owens. Hey folks, and it is the Flavorable Man of the Ocean, uh, here to review Dinobot Island Part 1, a uh, monumental episode, all things considered. This is, uh, this is really where Season 2 actually gets kicked off, both in terms of this is where all of a sudden the, uh, the second year Transformers started showing up in mass, most of them without an explanation. But uh, it's also you can also kind of tell it's a break, uh, pacing and storytelling a little different here. Whereas the beginning of season two really was just a continuation of season one, uh, just the way the productions work. Sometimes you like just they just cut them off at the first ten they did, submitted those, kept working on them essentially, uh, and uh, once they got picked up for season two, those just got enveloped into season two. But the difference, you know, coming back from production notes and all of a sudden like, hey, here's all the the new products you got to advertise. You know, there's definitely. Uh, the dividing line here with Dinobot Island. Now this was uh, right off the bat. Uh, they're hitting you with new characters, uh, right? You know, first scene is uh, Bumblebee flying with a uh, jetpack. I assume he borrowed from uh, uh, who is it? Willjack? Oh my God! I'm s- Ant's gonna kill me. Can't remember who the guy was the, is with the jetpack. Okay, I looked it up. It's Sideswipe. I should have known that. Anyway. Uh, Power Glide's flying with Bumblebee, and uh, and we cut back to uh, Autobot headquarters, and uh, we see Trax, I believe Grapple, Hauler, you know, all right off the bat, you know. And and for, I mean, I I assume for most kids who are following Transformers, these weren't new to us. We'd seen them on the shelves uh, for a while at this point. Like, we knew these characters. We'd been eagerly anticipating them showing up in the cartoon. You know, it was actually rare for the uh, the cartoon to actually uh, beat the toy. It should also be noted, uh, yeah, no, there's no explanation for where these new uh, Autobots and Decepticons come from. Uh, they just kind of uh, start showing up and act like they've always been there. Uh, which, in retrospect, I think as a kid I was always kind of uh, perturbed by it, but I think as an adult I'm like, you know what, there's enough origin Episodes, Constructicons, Dinobots. Dinobots have two uh, Stunticons and Aerialbots, and you know, I just ever, yeah, you know what? There, there were enough out there, so I think it's kind of fine. The kids can kind of, you know, it was, it's part left for the kids to figure out in their imagination how Blaster and Warpath and you know the uh, the second uh, s- set of Seekers, you know, how all these people showed up. That's you know something to uh, imagine on the playground as it was. This is also kind of the turning point, uh, definitely where you can see a divide because this is a Decepticon or Dinobot episode, obviously, and it's kind of where they go from, you know, if, if kind of dim and not very bright, and maybe they're kind of big and they knock a lot of stuff to straight being really stupid, clumsy oafs, and a bit of their bite as like you know, kind of the badasses of the Autobots. Little starts to uh, really starts to kind of fall here, and this will continue on, of course, until we see what Grimlock ends up in season three. Also, Sludge doesn't recognize uh, his own end credit and uh, exciting action montage scene music. Sad, it's the first time he's hearing it because it's one of the better tunes of the uh, the show. We can go ahead and play that, Ant. What that is, Sludge. Uh, Sludge not, no. Maybe time to do our thing. 
At any rate, the main gist of this episode is uh, the Dinobots are just too big. They're too clumsy. They're too destructive. They wreck uh, Autobot headquarters yet again. And hey, when you know it, we just stumbled upon a, a prehistoric island filled with dinosaurs which the Dinobots are based on. So how don't they go train there? And they're like, yay, sounds great. So uh, basically, that's our that's our plot detail. And again, you're seeing just a uh, just a room full of new new faces. Uh, I'm sure Ant's going to do a uh, countdown of all the new characters introduced. I, I it, it's a lot. It's essentially all these second gen cars, or uh, most of them, and then and then most of the uh, I think the mini bots. We finally get to see the Decepticons. Uh, we see Blitzwing and the Coneheads. And I think just about everyone else uh, kind of uh, comes in through uh, part two. But, of course, uh, they go to, uh, they bring the Dinobots to Dinobot Island. Uh, Spike and Spike's running around checking stuff out. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, I'm okay. You know, he gets attacked by one dinosaur, swoop saves him. He's like, yeah, I'm okay. Just drop me off here. And he's immediately uh, uh, accosted by another dino- dinosaur. And the Dinobots have to save him, so now he's like, ooh, I'm done with the island. While they're training on the island, uh, Grimlock drops one of my favorite lines, and uh, I've used a variation of this all the time uh, back in my Navy days, just anytime I'm trying to uh, get a bunch of people to do better at something, or myself included often, uh, something like, uh, more better, but not more better enough. Getting better, but still not more better enough. And I, I just love that line, and I, I still use it, or a variation of it, to this day. But when you know what that treacherous laser beak has been spying on the Autobots, and uh, he's going back to deliver information. I think Ravage like found out that they were doing anything in the first place. I can't, I don't know. It, it's the, the, the original the tit for tat, one of the tapes is spying on the Autobots, and they, fi- they find out a new source of energy, which this is what this becomes. As Megatron checks it out. Sees geysers and tar pits and volcanoes. Knows it's a great place to uh, exploit resources. So he immediately decides, without any further uh, discussion, uh, everyone needs. We need to, let's go to this island. To take this energy, which apparently is that easy because they get there and they start filling up like uh, energon cubes with like straight. Like Blitzwing holds like an energon cube under straight lava flow and fills it up. It's you know. Another episode of uh, Energon Cubes doing things they've never done before, but okay. That should be a regular uh, occurring uh, gag on here, probably. Uh, yeah, maybe not. But So Dinobots discover that Decepticons are here, and they go and attack. Of course, not going to put up with, Dinobot, with Decepticons on their island, which, uh, by the way, Spike named Dinobot Island. Uh Megatron uh, reroutes a herd of uh, dinosaurs towards the Dinobots, knocks them into a tar pit. Uh, meanwhile, on uh, the mainland, uh, a weird time tunnel has opened up, uh, and uh, creature and uh, humans and creatures from BC and whatnot start pouring out. And everyone's like, "What the hell's going on?" Of course, one of these happens right in front of uh, Bumblebee and Spike. But we, of course, are led to believe this has something to do. With Dinobot Island and the uh, Transformers now messing around on said island, uh, like I said, this is a this is a real true break. Well, I feel like the true break of where season two really this is really defining the second season to me more than anything else. Any of the other previous ones, uh, all the new faces with no explanation, but it was okay because we knew we really knew who they were anyway because we'd seen the toys or had them. Uh, and it, it was a lot of fun, you know, as a kid, just uh, was really just like, oh, finally they're getting to all these characters because we've just been waiting for so long to see them on the screen. Uh, this was also one I must have had on tape. Uh, I, I had a, I, I know I had like a tape of episodes I'd recorded of like Joes and Transformers. And this is one of those episodes, like every time I see it here and again, I always find myself being able to, once someone starts, starts saying a line, I can start reciting the entire line. You know, I can't recite the episode verbatim, but I definitely, uh, you know, once I hear a little bit of it, I, I can keep going with it, which tells me, like, I'd probably uh, taped it as a kid, and it was one of the ones I watched over and over again. Uh, but, yeah, fun up, uh, very good, uh, I, I consider one of the bigger turning points in the uh, in the cartoons, and that's all I got. Back to you, Ant. 
And of course, you can catch Gabe over on his YouTube channel, The Salty Seaman. And I'll have a link for him and all of our other guests in the show description, wherever you're watching or listening to this show. So Gabe hits the nail on the head here with the show taking a tonal shift in order to introduce the 1985 toy line into the show. And uh, there are a number of first appearances here, and there are a number of appearances here that seem like they were meant to be the first appearance, and episodes aired out of order. So some characters get their second quote, and I'll say that in their quotes, appearance, like Power Glide, although in his previous appearance in A Prime Problem, he was simply there as a plot device to save Splick. But we also get the first appearance of Blaster, the first appearance of Trax, uh, some other interesting notes here. Alfred uh, uses the phrase beryllium baloney, which actually gets reused later on in the 1986 animated movie. Uh, Spike has is the one who's named the island, Dinobot Island, uh, but it's interesting to note it's very similar to the Savage Land from Marvel Comics, and there has to be some sort of influence there from the Marvel end of this production. Also found it interesting that Gabe quotes a line of the training session on Dinobot Island. Uh, that scene is just loaded with playable moments. Uh, like when Grimlock decides to order the Dinobots to do things. Do flying stuff! Slag! Do fire stuff! Snarl! Do tail stuff! That will bring us to the second part, episode 31, season 2, episode 15, Dinobot Island, part 2, by Donald F. Glute. And in this episode, we uh, return to the Decepticons on the island. Starscream mentions that the island floats in, quote, the sea of time. It's kind of a poetic line from Starscream and kind of gives way to its mystical nature. We also get the first appearances of Thrust and Ramjet, the Decepticon Conehead Seekers. And later in this episode, we'll get the first appearance of Dirge as well, the third part of that trio. Now, the Time Warp has forced uh, a number of weird things to happen on Earth. And the first part of that is uh, cavemen showing up in the city. And um, to me, these cavemen totally sound like the singer from Disturbed. Let's let's do a quick side by side. Uh, so the Autobots show up on the scene in the city. There was already Bumblebee and Hound there, which uh, Sideswipe saves uh, with the return of his pile drivers as seen in the uh, Dinobot Origin episode. Uh, the Autobots fight off the cavemen and the mammoths, uh, and Ironhide actually calls those mammoths beasties. Beasties! Uh, and they're placed inside of Optimus's trailer. Uh which then is used to help force both the cavemen and the mammoths back through the time warp again. Uh, from here, we, we meet a few more Autobots for the first time at Autobot headquarters, uh, namely Beachcomber, though we've met him uh, in a previous episode, and uh, Perceptor, the Autobot microscope and scientist. Two more time warps open up, one in the ocean with pirates and one on the highway uh, where a series of cowboy outlaws show up uh, in front of a biker gang. Uh, at the ocean anomaly of the time warp, Sea Spray tracks and Cliffjumper with his car skis, again, something we haven't seen in a while, show up to send the pirates back through the time warp. And... On the highway, Prowl, Red Alert, who we see for the first time, Jazz and Inferno, find a way to send 
the Cowboys back through the time warp. Uh, the other thing we find out is that the volcano underneath the Ark is active once again, and the Autobots realize that the Decepticon stealing energy from Dinobot Island is causing a disturbance uh, in the energy forces around the Earth and head out to stop them. Uh, there is a battle between the Autobots and Decepticons, and again, we get a few more people for the first time. We get the first appearance of Smokescreen for the Autobots, as well as Warpath, who we do meet earlier, who gets into a tank battle with the Decepticon Triple Changer Blitzwing, who we also meet for the first time. The Dinobots rescue themselves out of the tar pit. Uh, Slag uh, begins with melting the tar with his fire breath, and then Grimlock eventually goes and uses the other dinosaurs on Dinobot Island to aid in the fight. And this episode really does a good job, and even the previous episode, of giving us the Dinobots' personalities beyond being just lumbering and stupid. But they're lumbering and stupid and innocent and trying to uh, do good things. And I think that's the the arc we see with the Dinobots over the course of this series. And by the end of the episode, the Autobots are victorious and the Dinobots are allowed to live back at the Ark. Whether or not Optimus shoves them back into their closet is a whole other story. And that will wrap things up for this edition of Transformers University. I want to give a big thanks and shout out to all of my guests, Rob, Jen, and David from Stasis Pod Podcast, Insane Galvatron from TFYLP, Christabella from Steel City Bots, and of course, the salty seaman himself, Gabriel Owens. I am your host, Anthony Brutalian. Of course, if you like the show, if you want to help out, swing on by our Patreon, patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O, and sign up for some fun, exclusive things. Also, YouTube.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. Come on in and subscribe. We are racing to a 1,000 subscribers, and I want you to be there when we hit it. And, of course, you can catch me on the social media, Facebook and Instagram.com slash T-F-U-Info, and Twitter.com slash T-F-U underscore info. And, of course, on the web, www.tfu.info for the world's longest-running Transforming Toy Archive. Next episode, we return to the Marvel Comics universe in the United States. We will tackle a handful of issues from that time. So until then, see you. Bye, guys. I'd write, but uh, you can't read.